Turn with me to the book of First Peter, chapter 3, and verse 15. I want to say how good it is to be home. It is good to be home. Thank you for all of the prayers. Those of you who prayed, it is appreciated. It was appreciated. God helped us in Wisconsin. God is pouring out revival in this time. And it is not isolated to one specific local church body. But it is being poured out wherever people right. are hungry. Right. And so it's up to us as light bearers to always be ready and to do what God would ask of us. So thank you for being mature or mature saints who still push on and have great church while the pastor is out of town preaching somewhere else. And I was excited to hear the reports of all that God did this past Sunday. And last night at prayer, and last night at prayer, I'm sure it was good. We do, we do spy when we're not here because we want to, we really want to be a part of everything that God does here because this is our heartbeat. This is our life. You are our heartbeat. You are our life. You are the call of God in my life. And I love you. And it's so good to be home. As you can tell, <clears throat> we're running on less than a quarter of a tank. But I guess that's what happens when they have you preach four times in three days. Yeah, my wife's, my wife's great. I'm thankful for my wife. She drove back last night after church. We got home about 2.30 this morning. And uh, thankful for a Christian school so my kids could work ahead so they could sleep in today. And they're thankful for that. And uh, I'm also thankful for a job that I had to get up and be in Fort Wayne at 9 o'clock this morning. And uh, it's about a 50-minute drive to the house. But we're here. And no naps today. So, Jesus' name. I guess I really preached four times and had a short stint on the first podcast. So, there it is. So, if, you, if my voice sounded a little gravelly when I was singing tonight, well, it just is what it is. So, First Peter chapter 3. And verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I felt this, I felt this since Friday this past week and I thought this was something that God wanted me to preach in Wisconsin but as it happened it was not and so I take that to mean that I'm supposed to preach it tonight and some of you have heard this before others have not and so here it is we're going to preach tonight we're going to remind ourselves about an unrestrained response. An unrestrained response. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, I love you. I thank you for all that you have done. God, you are faithful. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are holy. God, I magnify your name. I thank you for your word that is forever settled in heaven. God, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my worship. God, I pray that you would 
allow your word to find its mark here in this place tonight. God, we magnify you. God, we thank you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. God, I pray that your will would be done in every heart, in every mind, and in every life. In Jesus' name. Why don't you shout amen tonight? Amen. You can be seated. Unrestrained response. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The apostle is writing to the church, not just of his day, but the church of every day. The church from that point forward. And he said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify means to regard as special, to regard as sacred, to regard as holy or set apart sanctify the lord god make him holy make sure you remember that he is holy make sure you remember that you are consecrated unto him after that you have come out of darkness into his marvelous light make sure that your life is dedicated and separated unto him Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. It is the word apologian. It's where we get the word, the modern word apologist. Uh, he said, make sure that you are ready to give an answer, a ready defense of one's beliefs. Let me just stop right here. And let me just tell you that the power that you're going to experience in your walk with God is only truly realized or actualized when you understand why you live the way that you live. You can only ever really tap into the power and presence of God that He wants you to experience when you get a revelation of why we believe what we believe. Because when you get an understanding of it, it becomes more than just pretty words. It becomes more than just flowery orations. But there's something that gets on the inside of men and women, boys and girls, young people and elders alike. That when I understand why I believe what I believe, there's something that unleashes. There's freedom, there's liberty that unleashes. That's why we're not afraid of anybody's question. That's why we're not afraid of anybody's question. In fact, I'd rather them have questions and ask them than them to have questions and be silent. We're not afraid of anybody's questions and God is not afraid of anyone's questions. So when I have dedicated my life to God, you're really, let me just back up here. You're never going to experience true apostolic Pentecostal worship in its freedom, liberty, and power until you understand why we worship. And worship is an essential part of living for God. Unrestrained, unfettered, un tethered, power-packed worship unto the living God. When I've dedicated my life to God, not only am I being sanctified, I'm being set apart. 
I'm being pulled out of the world and set aside for the purpose and the plan of God for the kingdom of God but I am also to dedicate the core of my being the core of who I am to him this is more than just what God can offer me but this walk with God is truly what can I do for him When I get an understanding of dedicating who I am to Him, when that happens, there is a reaction that ought to begin to take place within me. There should be a response. In fact, everything that God is, before we ever even think about what He has done, just who he is demands I respond to him I don't know I, I came to have church tonight when I think about him, and maybe this is just because I'm refreshing my mind in schoolwork lately over the past few weeks, but when I think about him, not even just about his goodness, not even just about what he's done for me, but when I think about the fact that he is the God of all glory, when I think about the fact that he is a God without limitation. A God who is not bound by time. Let me say it this way. God doesn't wear a wristwatch. You and I are bound by chronos. That's why we put things in chronological order. Because it's based upon time. That's why we do timelines, right? Leap students. Timelines. Man, they're fun, aren't they? That's what we put things in order because in our finite, in our definite world, everything correlates to time. I punch the clock at a time. I take my break at a time. And my break only lasts so long. That's time. And then I go back to work for a time. And I take my lunch break for a time. And I go back to work for a time. And I clock out at a time and I go to bed at a time I come to church at a time I get up in the morning at a time everything that we are everything that our lives entail revolves around time but God does not operate bound by time what's that mean? that means that he can be late according to my time and still be on time He doesn't have limits. He doesn't have boundaries. He operates outside of the Kronos and inside the Kronos at the same time. At the same time, he's bound by time and not bound by time. Or rather, at the same time, he's working inside of time and outside of time at the same time. That's why the Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. So really, time is bound by God. God is not bound by time. We're not even preaching about what he's done for us yet, but I already feel like shouting because he's been so good to me. And then he progressively reveals himself. And at first he progressively revealed himself according to his divine attributes. But then he started revealing himself according to his personality toward man. And then it had a flavor of redemption attached to it. Until the God that was not bound by flesh, the God that was not bound by time, submitted himself to time, submitted himself to flesh. He didn't have to do it, but he did. 
kind of preaching, that kind of the word ought to get you excited. When I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out. But until you get a revelation of who he is, you'll never be able to truly experience everything. It's why the Holy Ghost leads and guides us into all truth. When he looks at us, all he needs to see is hunger. And if he sees hunger there, he'll fill you with his spirit. Even if you don't understand. Even if you can't wrap your mind around it, he'll fill you with his spirit. And then the word of God says, oh, taste and see. You're going to taste it first before you'll ever see it. So just knowing who he is evokes a response from me. And so I ought to study to show myself approved unto God. I ought to be able to give an answer when someone has questions. But it should also carry on to another level. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when God is involved in my life, there should also be an unrestrained response to the things of God. There ought to be an unrestrained response to the Word of God. There ought to be an unrestrained response to the Spirit of God. Let me skip to the end of my message and tell you we'll never see revival the way God intends for us to see revival until we start operating in unrestrained response. An unrestrained response will say, even if they don't sing my favorite song, I'm going to worship like my hair's on fire. You hear me? Even if he doesn't preach my favorite message, even if he steps on my toes, I'll preach like my feet are on fire. I'll run, I'll stop, I'll drop, I'll roll. Because that kind of response removes the limitations and it gets me out of the norm. It gets me from the realm of the natural and it propels me into the realm of the supernatural. You see, Pentecost has never been quiet. Pentecost was never designed to be quiet. Pentecost was never designed to keep quiet or be kept quiet. Which is why in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place when suddenly there came a sound. It did not come quietly. There was noise that was associated with the coming of the Spirit. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It doesn't matter what you're doing when you come into the house of God. If there's a hunger there, God can move. How I feel does not determine how much he can move. I can be mad at him and it not stop him from moving if I put my feelings out of the way and allow him to move. 
Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a sound associated with the moving of the Spirit but then there was a sound associated with the people's response to the spirit this is not a facetious question can you hear me okay my ears are plugged so it's all right stratton don't don't blast them out i'm just checking for me my ears are stopped i can't hear much but as long as you can hear me that's what matters I don't have to preach again until Saturday. There was a sound that was associated with the moving of the Spirit. But that's not where the noise stopped. I'm afraid that too often we just want Him to move. And we want to stand stock still and just soak. But when the Holy Ghost was poured out, there was a sound associated with His moving. And there was a sound associated with the people's response. The best way for you to know whether or not you're moving with the Spirit is can you hear a response from your own lips? Yes, it was the Spirit giving them utterance, but they were involved in the process. It was never meant to be quiet. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Out of every nation under heaven, it's as if God knew what He was doing. In order to maximize the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to, to maximize the reach of the New Testament revelation of the salvation plan. Which still included faith, obedience, and the shedding of blood. And how that applies to man's life today. The repentance, baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. He said, i got to draw a crowd. And if I want to draw a crowd, we're not going to draw a crowd with a silent vigil. But the best way to draw a crowd is to have a spiritual riot against the forces of darkness. There was a sound from heaven and there was a sound from men. And the Spirit gave utterance and the people outside heard it when they spilled out from that upper room. And when it was noised abroad... The best way to gather a crowd is to light it on fire and let it burn. We've not been called to the first church of the chosen frozen. They're not going to come to watch the lake freeze over. We were in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha. And the wind was howling. And the rain was pouring. And we just happened to be going to a Civil War museum that was on the banks of the Great Lake, Michigan. And the thing that caught our eye about the lake was not just its massive size. Was not just the pondering of, I wonder if the first people who saw this thought it was another ocean. It was not trying to ponder what was going through their mind when they first experienced it. But what caught our eye was the fact that there were white caps. And there were waves ten feet tall. And they were crashing. And they were splashing against the lighthouse. And they were splashing against the rocks. And the water was coming over and soaking the, the adjacent buildings. What caught our attention was the move of the flow. 
What caught our attention was the ebb and the flow and the constant crashing in of wave upon wave upon wave. I wonder what might be the response of our family members, of our neighbors, of our city councils, of the, the politicians and those in authority if they could see wave after wave after wave. I wonder what might happen at our university campus if wave after wave after wave we weren't sitting there watching it freeze we were sitting there watching it move we were mesmerized by the power in the flow the multitude came together when it was noised abroad it was not spilling out of the home of John Mark's mother. It's crazy. Isn't that the place where Jesus had his last supper? Well, I don't know, but maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. But, man, you should hear it. It's nuts. Unlike anything I've ever heard before. No. They're wide-eyed. Maybe they were thinking, alien abduction. Unidentified flowing object. Something is moving. Something has changed. Something has penetrated the atmosphere. What was it? It was the God. Who's not bound by time or space who had submitted himself to time and space while also being omnipresent outside of time and space, who had been received up into glory but had told them, go and tarry, wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. He had told them previously, I'm going to come to you. He's going to send another comforter in my name. He said, I'm going to be with you. I've been with you, but I will be in you. It was what we like to call a chirological moment. It's when the supernatural breaks in to the everyday flow. Anybody that's ever been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost has had a chirological moment. When the divine broke into the finite, when the infinite broke into the definite. When, when that which was without borders and without boundaries filled that which has borders and has boundaries. It's a movement of, of, of the supernatural from the unseen into the seen. And you may not be able to see the wind, but you can hear the wind. You can't see the wind, but you see the effect that the wind has on everything that it touches. Everything that it touches, it moves. Everything that it touches is, is, is objectified by the wind. It's moved by the wind. Everything that the wind touches has, it, it feels it. That's why you come into church. And you can feel the Holy Ghost sitting there with your arms crossed doing a crossword puzzle. But the supernatural wants to break into your world. And God wants to bring you higher. God wants to lift you up. God wants to let you know that he's got something earth shattering for your world. Multitude came together confounded because had every man heard him speak. Heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled saying one to another. Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? Shout it down the street. Hey, come look at the crazy. If they're all Galileans, how do they know our languages? Those were the languages that we were born speaking. Folks, Pentecost did not come quietly. Pentecost, the church of the living God, 
was earth shattering. The church of the living God is earth shattering. That's why they looked at the apostles and they said, these are the ones who have turned their world upside down. They're ignorant and unlearned. We don't know who they are. They've never been in our synagogues. They've never been in our, in our, uh, 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 seminaries. They've never been to our universities. But here we are. I hate your text. They're all amazed. Marvel. What's going on? This shouldn't be possible. You're right. It shouldn't be. But with God, it is. Others mocking said, these folks are drunk. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice. They're not drunk like you think they're drunk. He didn't deny that they were drunk. If it can't get me higher than the Holy Ghost, I don't want. If it can't get me drunker than the Holy Ghost, I don't want it. Let me just, that's about, that's about the response I thought I'd get. When's the last time you got drunk in the Holy Ghost? This isn't a dry county. This isn't a dry church. When's the last time somebody had to help you to a chair? I wonder how we might respond and how we might view life if we got back under the spell where his glory falls out and we said, okay, God, I'm coming in with an unrestrained response. I'm taking the limits off. I want everything that you have for me. The men and women speaking in tongues, they're praising God. They're ecstatically staggering as if they were drunk. That's what the crowd saw when those gathered poured out of the upper room and into the streets. But Peter said, this is not just for us. This is not just for a select few. This is not just for 120. But repent and be baptized, every one of you. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was not just for the twelve. It was not for the twelve minus Peter. It wasn't for the twelve minus Peter and Judas. It was for every one of them. It was for Mary, the mother of Jesus, who the gospel records was there on the day of Pentecost. It was for James. It was for Jude, the half-brothers of Jesus Christ that didn't even believe his preaching until after his resurrection. They were not listed among the disciples. They were not listed at the Last Supper. Why? Because they doubted and did not believe in spite of growing up in the same house. But after his resurrection, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What am I preaching tonight? I'm, let me hurry tonight. Uh, I, that day, there were 3,000 souls that were added to the church. You can read it later. There were good people, folks that were doing good things, that were doing good deeds, but were still were not saved because they had not followed the salvation plan. Cornelius, you don't have to take my word for it. Cornelius was praying. There was an angel that came to Cornelius. It wasn't a preacher. It wasn't his neighbor. 
was an angel that said, send to Joppa for one Simon, surnamed Peter. He'll tell you what to do to be saved. 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 He'll tell you what to do to be saved. Everybody say it with me. Saved. There you go. Do it again. That sounded good. You emphasized the D. Saved. And so the angel comes, and what is the angel? Or the, the angel goes to uh, to Cornelius. Cornelius sends men to Joppa. God appears to Peter. Peter goes to Cornelius, and what does Peter preach? The same message that he preaches on the day of Pentecost. And those that were with Peter were marveling, saying, How is it that the Gentiles also have received the gift of the Holy Ghost like as we? And Peter said, Why should we prevent them from being baptized? That's part of the formula. The group. The group that had been gathered in the upper room responded to the gifting of God in an unrestrained manner, which then spilled over and brought about an opportunity for someone else to hear the word of God. Let me preach to us tonight when we come into the house of God and we respond to the preaching of the word. Let me rewind. When we come in and we respond to pre-service prayer, Hello, somebody. When we come in and we respond to the, the worship, we respond to the music. When we come in and we respond to the prayer request. Come on, Brother Craig. Let's do, let's do a little dosey do right here. I'm feeling in the Holy Ghost. When we come into the house of God and we respond and we get outside of our own minds. When we come into the house of God and we get yoked up together. When we come into the house of God and we say, okay, I'm going to do my part to create the atmosphere where anything is possible. Honey, let me tell you, coming to church and sitting on a pew is a thing of the past. I feel like kicking the devil in the teeth and doing a backflip tonight. There is unifying power when you respond without restraints. Young people, let me be pastor tonight. If you want other young people to come into the house of God and live for God and double or triple your youth group, you're going to teach them. You're going to have to teach them how to praise God. You're going to have to teach them how to worship God. You're going to have to teach them how to pray. What? How do I do that, pastor? By doing it in front of them. You're going to have to teach them that it's okay to run the aisles because we're running in celebration. We're running in worship. Pastor, I'm telling you, you missed the cue. When you come into the house of God, you got a responsibility to teach them how to praise God, to teach them how to worship. There is unifying power when you respond without restraints. That's it, Sister Tracy. Speak in tongues for a minute. Somebody ought to lift your voice right now. I'm not out of breath. I don't have to catch my breath. You just need to help create an atmosphere right now. I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Ashton, Betty, you don't know this. But months ago, 
when you started letting Liam come to church with your parents, we started praying over that boy. I said, God, his mama and his daddy belong to you. And even though they're not here right now, I want there to be angels that go home with this boy. God, I want them to be able to feel your spirit and feel your drawing off of this little boy. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I believe that more of that is going to start taking place when they... There's something about when the people of God say, okay, I understand that God is not limited, so I am going to take the restraints. A restraint, a restraint, a restraint is a way of limiting, a way of controlling, a way of stopping something. It is a device. Listen to this. This is the de dictionary definition. A restraint is a device that limits a person's movement. Restraint is control over your emotions or behavior. God is not called Let's say this the right way the sanctified stoic hallelujah god has not called us to be the first church of the chosen frozen. But he said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, what are they doing? They're taking the restraints off. They're not so concerned about what other people think of them. But it's not just the foolishness of the preacher. But there's power when the pew grabs hold. There's power. There's power when you who are in the altar, you who are in the pews, you who are in the sanctuary, grab hold of what God is doing. It doesn't even have to just be the word of God, but in worship, you grab hold of what God's doing and you pull it back. It's under tension and you launch it back to the platform and those on the platform grab it. They catch it and they launch it back. And it's a game of back and forth, but it's not a game at all. What are we doing? We're creating an ebb and a flow. We're creating a movement. A movement of unrestrained response. To be unrestrained is to be not restrained. Imagine that. Immoderate. Uncontrolled, free of constraint, spontaneous. But it starts popping like popcorn. And all of a sudden, it starts gaining momentum. It's spontaneous. It's not held in place by a device. The definition literally says a belt, but I don't want any guys taking their belts off. Keep your belts on, but loose the bands of your worship. Not held in place. Not controlled. What would happen if you made up your mind, I'm coming to church, but I'm never sitting down. 
Well, who does that? The preacher does. And you want the preacher to be operating in the anointing, don't you? Preach to me. Preach to my family. Preach to my situation. Preach to my mind. Preach to my spirit. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's my job. To lead, to feed, to protect, to catch vision, to pull in from the supernatural. But what might happen if you started doing it? What might there be between the pew and the pulpit? All of a sudden, when you're not waiting for an altar call, but you see God moving on your neighbor, you see God moving on your brother, and you just go over and lay hands on your brother. You just go over, lay hands on your sister, right in the middle of preaching. My God, what can happen? If it's out of line, I'll stop it. Don't worry. Give me five, Kenzie. What's happening? Taking the limits off. Taking the limits off. Taking the limits off. What are we doing? We're getting unconventional. That's what we're doing. Moses is confronted by the Spirit of God coming out of a burning bush. Moses, take off your shoes. Get out of your limits. Get, out, get, get, get unconventional. I got some business to do with you, Moses. A response is something that is said. It is something that is written as a reply to something else. Something that is done as a reaction to something else. I find it very easy to react throughout my day. But then when it comes to time uh, to having church, all of a sudden I don't feel like reacting. I feel like this would make a better footstool than a bass drum. We could go back to the days of COVID and call it the caveat of comfort. I don't have a recliner anymore. I just got a massage chair. That's a lot harder to get on the platform to preach from. You would have to preach then. What do you think might happen to this service if I just sat here for five minutes? Pamper me. I feel so refreshed. You're laughing, but that's what you want me to do to you. I ain't been in the North Country far too long, my friend. The cold wind's going to my head. No, sir. Let me tell you what'll happen. You get in the spirit. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be pastor pouring it out. That's going to be God pouring it out. God's going to be pouring it out on your family. God can pour it out when you get unconventional and you take the limits off. What might God be able to do in your family if you take the limits off? What might God be able to do in our city if you take the limits off? What might he do in my church if I take the limits off? When I don't wait for somebody to come give me a drink, but I go to the well of salvation and with joy, I draw water on my own and I react to what the Spirit's doing. Come on, somebody respond right now. Come on, that's it. Let's respond right now. Oh, yes. Take the limits off. Take the limits off. What might God be able to do in your future?
refuse to be stoic. I refuse to be a statue in the house of God. But God gave himself for me. He gave his all for me. It's high time for me to offer him a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship, a sacrifice of the word. I'm taking the limits off. I'm taking them off one more time. This is where we live. This is where we operate. We don't operate in the shallows. We don't operate in the still. We don't operate in stoicism. We operate in unrestrained spiritual response. Come on, that's it. There you go. Come on, there you go. If they're going to learn how to worship, they're going to learn it from me. If they're going to learn how to respond, they're going to learn it from me. I want them to learn how to run the aisles for me. I want them to learn how to dance and shout and clap and leap for joy from me. I want them to know that we are not abnormal. We are the normal children of God. And this is what Pentecost is. This is what the church is. It's not restrained. It is not restrained. Come on, that's it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. They're going to hear the sound of my worship. They're going to hear it and be encouraged. They're going to hear my response. We're going to create an atmosphere for the super Supernatural for the dynamic dunamis power of God to take place. 